Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, this past week, I have been asking myself a question which is appropriate for the fourth Sunday in Advent. I have been asking myself, who am I? You know that light little question that comes to mind uh, just when you're, pops into your mind when you're waiting in line at Starbucks and Burl Ives is singing Holly Jolly Christmas. Who am I? Who am I? Well, I'm Caucasian. I'm male. I'm an American citizen. I'm married. I'm an Episcopal priest. All that's pretty true. But I brought with me a little show and tell that will help to describe who I am, to answer that question. I'm holding a scrapbook that my mom made for me many years ago, and it contains my genealogy, my family tree, in the form of photographs. It starts with a photograph of me and of my sister and my mom and dad all the way back to photographs of portraits of ancestors in the early 1800s. So when I ask the question, who am I? I can say that I am the son of William and Jeanette Monroe, and that I am also the great, great, great grandson of Abijah and Mary Chase and Nathaniel and Deborah Kinsman. All of which is to say that genealogies, family trees, are the focus on this fourth Sunday in Advent. You remember the TV series Roots by Alex Haley, telling the story of that African-American man searching for his family tree, his genealogy, in order to have some roots in the middle of a slippery world. I recently read about a, a Bible translator who was working on translating scripture into the language of a certain tribe in Africa, and when he translated the Gospels of Mark and John into their language, the members of that tribe had little interest. But when he translated the first 17 verses that we've got today in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, the entire tribe converted. It turned out that in the culture of that tribe, a person with no family history really didn't exist. And once they saw that Jesus had a family tree, he became a real person in their eyes. If you were here two Sundays ago, this same dynamic played out when we heard the story of John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River. You remember that some of the Episcopal clergy back then said, we don't need to be baptized because we've got Abraham in our family tree. We don't need to be baptized, they said, because we got a better genealogy than the daughters of the American Revolution. Our family tree, they said, goes back 2,000 years to our forefather Abraham. And furthermore, our lineage is pure. We're pure-blooded all the way back. I really wish that I could say that about my own family tree. Uh, I was fine with my mom's research until uh, I discovered that in the distant past, uh, one branch of the family tree, and John Lavin, you may not make fun of me because of this, um, was not called Monroe, but their last name was Bunroe. Just leave it at that. 
This same dynamic, in fact, holds true for the Hebrew people. If there was any mixture of foreign blood in your veins, then you lost your right to be a member of the people of God. Jesus was born into a culture that found part of its identity in racial purity. That's why, if you turn in today's gospel, in today's leaflet on page 5, you're going to see this long genealogy. And if you look at it right now, you'll see five names are printed in bold. Every name in the genealogy is male except for those five names, those five women. I want to take just a quick look at those five. The first woman, and you can see, her name is Tamar. And Tamar was married to one of the sons of Judah. However, that was a wicked son, and so he died. So Judah had his daughter-in-law, Tamar, marry another of his sons, but that son was bad too, and he died. Now the story gets a little complicated here, so you've got to pay attention. In the meantime, Judah himself decided to sleep with a prostitute, and he didn't know it, but the prostitute in disguise was Tamar. And then she got pregnant. So when Judah saw that Tamar, except he didn't know it was Tamar, was great with child, he decided to have her burned at the stake. But then when he found out it was Tamar, when he found out that his daughter-in-law was pregnant with his own child, then he canceled the order. Do you see the family tree of Jesus is getting really interesting right at the very beginning? The second woman on the list is never called simply by her name. Whenever she's referred to, she's called Rahab the harlot. And she was indeed a lady of the evening in the city of Jericho. But when Joshua, you remember, fit the battle of Jericho, it was Rahab who provided the key assistance so that the Israelite army could win the battle. The third woman you see in the list in bold is Ruth. And Ruth was a wonderful woman. She gave us one of the most beautiful love stories of all time. However, sadly, she was not an Israelite. She was a citizen of the country of Moab. And to a citizen of Israel, the folk in Moab weren't even really human beings. She was unclean. She was an alien. She did not have a green card. The name of the fourth woman is not given, but you can see in bold um, to whom it's referred. We know it's Bathsheba. And we don't know much about Bathsheba herself, But the events surrounding Bathsheba are so shocking, so degrading, so awful, that she's really kind of tainted just by association. You remember that King David spotted Bathsheba on a rooftop taking a bath and thought she was great. And so David had Bathsheba's husband murdered in a spectacularly terrible way. So David may have been a great king, but at this point he's also a thief, a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. Then finally we come to the fifth and last name in bold. I just invite you to think of some young woman you know who maybe is 15 or 16 or 17 and not married and pregnant. This is the age and condition of Mary, the last woman in this genealogy. So what does all this mean? 
Well, in the account of the birth of Jesus given in St. Luke's Gospel, it says that Joseph went unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. But, you know, there's a better way, a more accurate way to translate that verse. Let me read it for you. Joseph went unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of prostitutes and liars and thieves and adulterers and murderers and aliens and foreigners with no green cards. He was of the house and lineage of those who were struggling and brokenhearted and fearful and guilty and lonely. That's the lineage into which the creator and redeemer of the entire universe chose to be born. That's the tree. Those are the roots that the judge of all nations has chosen to be his family. And if you're wondering what it's like to be a member of that family tree, then all you got to do is ask a fella named Jim Joyce. And I'll close with this. Jim Joyce became famous on the holy ground of the Detroit Tigers baseball field on June 2nd, 2010. And in order to understand what happened on that day, you also need to understand the significance of something that is called a perfect game. And by definition, a perfect game is a game in which no player on the other team ever reaches first base, either by a base hit or a walk or being hit by the ball or an error in the field. The pitcher retires all 27 opposing batters three at a time for nine innings. Professional baseball has been around for almost 150 years. And there have been approximately 220,000 professional baseball games during that period. And in all that time, there have only been 23 perfect games. Well, you probably never heard of a pitcher named Armando Galarraga, and for good reason, because he was a minor league pitcher most of his life. But on June 2nd, 2010, Galarraga had been called up and he was pitching for the Detroit Tigers. And in the ninth inning, Galarraga stood on the mound with two outs. He had retired 26 batters in a row. Just one more batter to go. And this not very special pitcher would accomplish the most difficult feat in all of baseball. Every person in that stadium was standing on his or her feet. Galarraga pitched the ball. The batter hit it. The throw went to first base. And the umpire, whose name was Jim Joyce, called the runner safe. No perfect game. No history made. It was all over. Except it wasn't. Immediately after the game, Jim Joyce watched a replay. And it was very, very clear that, in fact, the runner had been out. Armando Galarraga had pitched a perfect game, and Jim Joyce had taken it away with a bad call. Time for Jim Joyce to try to make excuses, to justify himself, to say that he was just doing his job. Instead, 
he said this, and I quote, That was the most important call of my entire career, and I blew it. A reporter asked him, Can you forgive yourself? And Jim Joyce said, No, I can't. With that, Joyce stood up and walked directly to the Tigers' um, locker room. And he walked right up to Galarraga. And he said this, You pitched a perfect game, and I ruined it for you. And I can't give it back. I'm so sorry. And Armando replied, I forgive you. It's an honest mistake. It's fine. And in the economy of God's grace, that was the moment that that game became perfect. You and I this morning, with two days to go before Christmas Eve, are invited to stand beside Jim Joyce and to know what it's like to belong to the family tree of Jesus. That's the good news with just two days to go for Christmas Eve. The good news is that the Facebook page of Jesus includes the likes of losers and floozies and strugglers and members of Calvary St. George's and those who answer the question, who am I, by having the privilege of saying, I belong to the family tree of Jesus. You and I are invited right in this moment at this service to stand beside Jim Joyce and to hear Jesus saying to us, you are forgiven. I love you. It's fine. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.